Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, July 9th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, increasingly scarce public data and information when it comes to COVID and state troopers sent to the U.S.-Mexico border. County Sheriff discusses Iowa's new permitless carry law. And Kim Reynolds is a possible VP candidate. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good afternoon, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the reminder. That old <laughs> habits. Recording in the afternoon this time. Uh, and good afternoon to you, Todd Dorman. And good day to you. <laughs> there we go. Note to self: I'll change that in future scripts so I don't do that again. Good day. Just more polite, too, sounding, isn't it? As a reminder, everyone can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. First up this week, the state is scaling back its COVID-19 data reporting. Instead of updating new COVID figures multiple times per day, as it has been for much of the pandemic, those numbers will now be updated just once per week as the state prepares to transition away from its coronavirus.iowa.gov website. New COVID-19 cases and deaths have fallen precipitously since December, where they're at now at lows not seen since the early days of the pandemic in the spring of 2020. On the other hand, there are still cases out there, and not to mention more dangerous variants are emerging, and just 60% of Iowa's adult population is vaccinated, according to federal data. Todd, the numbers are way down, but is this an okay time to slow the pace of reporting the state's COVID numbers? Well, you know, throughout the pandemic, you've heard the governor and and legislative Republicans talk about trusting people to do the right thing and make their own decisions. And I think, you know, giving them timely, accurate data is sort of the one thing you can do to allow people to do that, to make those informed decisions on how they want to conduct themselves, their businesses, and, you know, do they want to start wearing masks again or, or, or what have you. So I think they're sort of undermining that argument that, that you know, we're, we're all doing, you know, the right thing for ourselves by not giving us information every day. The variants are troubling. We're starting to see some of those old scary headlines again in places like Missouri and Arkansas and, and, and some states where the combination of the more contagious variants and, and low vaccination rates have, have led to an increase in cases and mm-hmm. hospitalizations and the, the ventilators are being rolled out again. So, yeah, I think Iowans deserve to, to know those daily numbers and deserve to be able to track this to make sure that we aren't backsliding. Unfortunately, you know, as with a lot of the decisions the governor's made and her administration's made, Sometimes it seems like it's not really about the, you know, the public health interest of Iowans. It's about sort of keeping up political appearances and making, you know, making her case that'll be part of her reelection campaign next year that, you know, the state has recovered and growing faster than ever. And, you know, everything's great. But if we start seeing more case numbers, more people going to the hospital, that's going to under under. You know, it's going to undermine that argument. So. I think the best thing to do is to just give people information and and you know play it straight and 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 allow Iowans to be to understand where this pandemic actually is because it's it's not over. Yeah, uh, Amy, according to the latest White House uh, coronavirus report uh, that goes out to all the states, 
Blackhawk County, from whence you report, is one of just a dozen Iowa counties that's still in the, uh, I won't get into the details, but basically the danger zone for COVID spread. Uh, same question to you. Does this feel to you like a, 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 an okay time to ease off the gas when it comes to reporting this kind of data? I do think there should still be, like Todd said, a database for for us to get the information. Um, I have conflicting um, opinions on whether news organizations should be devoting time and resources to it. Um, On the one hand, you know, people by and large do have the information. I think whether you're if you're not vaccinated um, at this time, at least you're aware of, you know, what organizations like ours have put out there in the past. Um, You're probably aware that the Delta variant is out there. Um, you've probably done some risk assessment and and come to your conclusions. So whether or not we're telling you that there were an extra, you know, 12 cases a day on average, or as I'm looking on the county um, site right now, we've got an 8.2% 14-day average positivity rate. So that puts us in the moderate category, which is between low and, you know, that high danger. I think that really doesn't change minds. So ultimately, if we're sort of in the business of informing in order to educate, in order to um, you know help people to make better decisions, maybe it's not as important for us to put that out there. On the other hand, there are people that for whatever reason cannot get a vaccine. These are a small amount of people, um, but they're still exist and out there and would like to know um, if their risk is high or low or medium. Um, so, so there's definitely something to be said for at least putting the information out in a way that people can access and, and make their own decisions for sure. But yeah, I think Blackhawk County being one of the metro counties, obviously in the area, just having more people a little bit closer together is always going to be a recipe for viral transactions, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it'll be interesting. And, and I say it'll be interesting to follow numbers a little bit, a little harder to now, but it'll be yeah. interesting um, I, I just, uh, my personal take on it is it's it, it's the it's this variant stuff that kind of makes me uneasy about doing away with it. And look, and I, I it's been a long time since I was checking those numbers daily and and you know, yep, worrying about those things on on a micro level like that on a daily basis. But be, being able to see those trends and uh, possibly emerging and, and now possibly something re-emerging with these very variants. And again, that, that combination of a new variant that uh, the scientists believe is spreads even more rapidly uh, combined with, it, it's not a low vaccination rate, but it's lower than a lot of states. It's, we're about middle of the pack, yeah. uh, according to the Washington Post database. Um, that's a lot of people out there who aren't vaccinated with this dangerous variant spreading through. It, 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 it just, to me, feels like, you know, and it kind of gets back to, I, I was going to say, it, it feels to me like maybe it's just a, a little bit ahead of the curve doing away with this. Maybe just another month or two and, and we would have been fine or maybe get to this fall. Um, but it kind of circles back to the point that Todd made that that's kind of been the MO of this administration yes. though, throughout yep. this. Had they always been kind of a little bit of maybe a step or two faster than the people who are ex- other people. Ex- asking for caution uh, would, would, would act. So obviously yeah. something we'll, we'll all be uh, watching as the summer uh, months moves on and that data becomes um, less and less uh, frequently updated. Um, speaking of open and transparent government or a lack thereof, the state had very little to say this week when asked for details on how state troopers are being used in their assignment to aid southern states on the U.S.-Mexico border. 
When asked by our colleague Rod Beauchart, the State Public Safety Department declined to reveal how many troopers volunteered, how many are headed south, whether they're going to Texas or Arizona, or what specific duties they will perform. Other than that, the state was very forthcoming. <laughs> this seems like a pretty big deal, uh, sending state troopers to help other states. It also seems like it's pretty fair to want to know how many state troopers are being taken away from Iowa and what they'll be doing and who's paying for it. Uh, or Todd, am I, am I being unfair here? No, I mean, the, the governor is utilizing, I mean, public safety officers, emphasizing the word public, to go on a mission of, you know, of, of, of questionable, you know, merit on the border. Uh, and they're just, they're just basically refusing to give any details and, and say who's paying for it. Uh, you know, Christy Noem up in South Dakota, she sent the National Guard down to the border and, and some large Republican donor from Tennessee is paying, is paying the bill. I, I guess there's, you got to rent an army now it's, you can, to, to go, you know, wage politics on the border. Uh, so, yeah, people deserve to know how this, this public asset is being is being used elsewhere and, and why it's being used. And, and, uh, but I mean, as with so many things, they, they just, you know, reporters ask and, and they don't say much. I mean, we've seen this with all sorts of other subjects over the last couple of years that, you know, they're, they're, they're not very responsive to the, to the local media, but maybe one of these nights on Laura Ingram, the governor will go on and explain what's actually happening. So we can, we can look for that. <laughs> then we'll all find out together. Yeah. Um, I, 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 a couple of things strike me. One, this comes as uh, I know one of my papers over in Davenport, the Quad City Times, they've had issues with the rise in violent crime and gun crime, and they've asked the governor for help uh, for additional state troopers there. So it seems like uh, on top of, you know, the, you raised the fair questions, Todd, about whether this is a worthwhile exercise to begin with. And then on top of it, you have, we got actual issues uh, facing us here in Iowa, it seems like maybe we're stretching our our force un- unnecessarily uh, thin there. Um, so it's just just on, on top of the questioning of it, it's it's, it's an interesting thing, uh, uh, timing wise. So, um, speaking of law enforcement, and man, am I crushing the transitions today, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> this this week you interviewed your county sheriff about Iowa's new permitless carry law which to catch people up allows most Iowans to possess a gun without first obtaining a permit. I'll also note here uh, before I ask you about this, uh, because I'm sure when you interviewed Blackhawk County Sheriff Tony Thompson, he was speaking to you in his local role there specifically, but it's also worth keeping in mind for our listeners that he is also president of the Iowa state sheriffs and deputies association. So he he also has that breadth of experiences as well. So um, this new law just went on the books uh, eight days ago, as this podcast is recorded on July 9th. Uh, Amy, what did Sharon Thompson have to say about the new law? And and did he say specifically um, what kind of impact he thought it might have on the agency in his charge? Yeah. I asked him about all of that. I'm, and obviously, as you pointed out, as his um, lobbying arm notes, he had a lot to say about it. In 2011, you'll remember that when they issued shall issue, um, that was the first big blow really to sheriff's offices. Um, Previously, they had the opportunity to sit down with people and just say, hey, 
are you kind of a crazy person? Um, besides, are you a felon and a domestic abuser and that sort of thing? And I get to decide that, you know, as the sheriff. Now, there are pros and cons with that, right? If I'm the sheriff and I don't like a certain segment of the population, I get to just blanket deny them. I don't have to tell you why. So in some ways, the shall issue t- took that out of there. Now, what they were crying about at the time was that basically that meant if you can't prove that they had anything on in black and white in paper that was wrong, they had to issue it. And that's still the case, obviously. Um, So like, for example, if you had um, like a battery charge in Alabama, for example, and they don't know if that means it's a felony here and it takes more than 30 days to get that from a county sheriff's office in Alabama, they're issuing you a gun. That's what it is. And permitless carry now puts the onus instead of on um, the sheriff's office to, to decide that or, or, you know, you have to go to the sheriff's office to get a permit to even get certain guns. Now you can carry a gun and it's on the onus of law enforcement to basically make that permit determination every time they stop you and you have a gun with you. So basically if you're in a traffic stop and you say, I have a gun in the car, previously a deputy would be like, okay, do you have a permit? And the person would be like, yes or no. Now the deputy has to be like, do I run a whole background check on this person? Is it that serious? Or like, do I not even have time to do that because I've got a zillion other calls to go on? Um, So yes and no, it is going to change basically the calculus for, um, you know, Sheriff Thompson's deputies and other law enforcement that are running into people's guns. Um, It doesn't take away the charge of carrying weapons Um, That could still be applied in in certain cases. Um, And you can now get any gun without a permit. However, every single gun now has to be background checked, which is going to be different for people if they're used to getting certain guns at a gun store without going through that background check. Now it's basically, as one gun shop owner told me, a layaway system if you don't come back immediately. Yes. So if there's any question, which there are often a lot of questions, you have to wait that five days or, or whatever it takes to get that back and, and get that gun. So right now there is a run on guns at gun shops because everybody's aware of constitutional carry is, is what it's being called, you know, that permitless carry. But as far as how it's changed law enforcement, not as much yet is basically the calculus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it will be interesting if, as, as time goes on so so many of these new laws it just takes so much time before we can say with any um clarity what kind of impact it's had so so that will be interesting um one more thing i wanted to get to tonight and this is uh uh, hot off the press so to speak um uh, the reason we're recording in the afternoon instead of the morning as usual is uh your esteemed host uh, had iowa press duty and uh Watch for this weekend's episode with Bob Vanderplatz. Covered a lot of interesting uh, stuff. Obviously, a, a, a significant and uh, I think fair to say sometimes polarizing p- figure in Iowa politics. Uh, but one of the it, interesting things um, that I came away from taping that episode was his um, kind of making a salesman's pitch for Governor Kim Reynolds as a running mate to a presidential candidate and in 2024 um and and unprovoked that wasn't something we asked him about he, he just kind of um put that out there on his own as we were talking about the 2024 field more broadly um so todd i wanted to kind of get your reaction to this i i know that's kind of always it's been out there in general that there's a sense that kim reynolds has her eye on something beyond 
being governor in Iowa after maybe one more term and, and whether that's, you know, some have speculated if Senator Grassley runs and wins and retires midterm that maybe she'd appoint herself to the U.S. Senate seat. Um, here, here's another possibility. Uh, uh, Bob Vanderplatz, and I don't know how many other people uh, have been thinking this or putting it out in the ether, um, but that, that Kim Reynolds uh, would make a, a solid heat um, running mate. He, he said he didn't get the impression at all that Kim Reynolds is thinking about running for president, although he also supported that idea. But he did seem to suggest that um, if uh, whomever wins the nomination asked Kim Reynolds to be that person's running mate in 2024, that sh- she would be up for that. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious your reaction to that, Todd. Well, uh, she is, after all, a red state trailblazer, which is one of the, uh, you know, one of the, the, the governors among, you know, Texas, uh, South Dakota, I'll probably forget some, Mississippi, Florida, Florida Ron DeSantis. Uh, so there's like this, there is this kind of group of, of higher profile red state governors that have raised their profile by appearing on Fox News and, right. and you know, uh, making headlines, uh, championing, you know, sort of the state by state uh, agenda that Republican states are uh, pursuing, uh, limiting access to voting, things like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, she's she's doing that for in in one way to sort of, as we've talked about before, kind of give a national flavor to her gubernatorial reelection campaign because those issues really appeal to sort of the the Trump GOP base that's strong in Iowa. Uh, and yeah, I mean, she would certainly be someone that would be on a, a list of potential vice presidential candidates, uh, you know, depending on who's the nominee. I think there's been speculation on whether if Trump runs again, if he's, you know, isn't under felony investigation at that point, if he does run again, that he wouldn't choose Mike Pence to run with him again. He might choose somebody else or, or uh, DeSantis would be looking for a, for a maybe another governor to to join him, and you know, throughout history, Iowa governors have sort of been in this position. Bob Ray was mentioned in 1976 as a potential uh, running mate. Uh, you had Terry Branstad was mentioned at one point. I think I forget exactly when that was. Uh, but at one point during his his term, his long, long, long term, he was mentioned <laughs> as a vice presidential possibility. And of course, Tom Vilsack uh, was allegedly, reportedly among the final three in 2004, where John Kerry was picking a running mate. So, yeah, we've so we've we've been to this sort of, uh, you know, this this experience before where, uh, you know, the, the, the governor will insist that, you know, he or she is only cares about the job they're doing now. And there will be lots of speculation. It'll be a fun parlor game. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's not surprising. And yeah, obviously yeah, having, to, yeah, obviously having a, a Republican from Iowa on the ticket is good for folks like Bob Vanderplatz who are, you know, big, big political operators in the state for the people who want to keep the caucuses here. Right. Sure. Yeah. For, for, for whom the caucuses are good business. The, all the kingmakers. You can't yeah. put the kingmakers out of business. 
<laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week's edition of On Iowa Politics. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope it was worth your time. If you like the show, subscribe, tell a friend, and you can send fan mail to onIowaPolitics at gmail.com. And don't forget the work of everyone you heard today and those who couldn't join us can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo City Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Porch Builders will play us out this weekend. If you know a talented band or Iowa musician who should be featured on our show, send us a sound file. For Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.